Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I'm Allison Gilbert. And this week we watched Serendipity, which stars John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale and a random hodgepodge of a supporting cast. John um, Corbett, Molly Shannon, Eugene Levy, Natasha from Sex and the City. Bridget Monahan. Moynihan. Thank you. Not Monahan. That's a different person. Those are the two women I get mixed up. Sure. They look nothing alike, but their names are very similar. Aren't they both brown-haired white women? Isn't Monaghan like a little redheadier? No? No. Carrie, stop. They're both okay. brown-haired white women. One of them was married or in a relationship with Tom Brady. I'm pretty sure that was this I think that's this one. Yeah. This is Moynihan. One of them was Natasha on Sex and the City. Both also Moynihan. The people Carrie and Big treated on with each other in this movie. It's true. Together. Yeah, I mean, Bridget, I had to explain. Did we say this week? Yeah, we said this week we watched Serendipity, which meant I had to explain that dynamic to our father. This yeah. is the last movie I'll watch with our parents. So, you know what? It was a good It was a good way to leave them wanting. Right. I did. Yeah, I said Bridget Moynihan spent a lot of the early aughts getting cheated on or getting left by men for um, much more frantic, flouncy, manic women. Who are also themselves having an emotional or full affair against John Corbett. Like, poor John Corbett and I know Bridget right. Moynihan. All right. Tell us what Serendipity is about. When did Serendipity come out? I forgot to look that up. It came out in 2001. It was directed by Peter Chelsom and written by Mark Klein and has a 58% on Rotten Tomatoes. But when you look it up, like, the blurb on iTunes when I bought it said, like, critically acclaimed romantic comedy but then that's like right underneath its rotten tomato score of 58 percent. so like who are you trying to convince right we see the busted tomato um yes it's a christmas movie so is it it literally opens with a christmas song like it literally there's like jingling lights and and a christmas song and then they're in macy's five days before christmas but then the rest of the movie is not at christmas time at all at all okay except for the final like epilogue scene where we're back at christmas time bookend on christmas this is not a christmas movie um, the plot of this movie is both John Cusack and Kate Beckinsale go into the same Macy's and reach for the same pair of gloves and have like a little flirty banter trying to decide who's going to get them. And then despite him being like, I have a girlfriend and her being like, I have a boyfriend. They like, which is pointless because it's not the girlfriends or boyfriends they have later. It's like just to make them both kind of shitty people. They like go on a date. Wait, isn't it? We think it's new, different people. It's like five years earlier. I don't know. Maybe not. You think it's the same people? I, I guess I don't else. know why not. I guess I'm like, someone's dating a relationship for five years? That's insane. But I guess maybe <laughs> that's my own issues coming through. Uh, um, they, like, go get ice cream at Serendipity, thus the name of the movie, and also because it's all about fate. And, like, because they've met at the wrong time, because they're both seeing other people and she believes in fate, she writes, they decide to just like put it out and let the universe decide if they're supposed to be together. Right. So like he writes his information on a $5 bill and she puts hers in a, in a old copy of love in the time of cholera that she's going to sell to a used bookstore tomorrow. And 
then they try and meet at the same floor of a hotel of the Waldorf Astoria and they like press the same button, but he gets delayed by a kid in a devil costume, which no one ever explains why at Christmas time, this child is in a Halloween costume, but I guess it's not important. It's literally just like at one point his little like devil tail can get caught in the elevator. Anyway, so they miss each other. And then five years later, they're both about to get married and they're both having cold feet. So they decide to find each other or to try and see if they can find each other. And really a move that's like, maybe, I mean, find each other if you want, but also like, neither of you should be getting married if this is what you're doing days before your wedding. Also, like, I, I don't know that this movie, maybe like in the same way that you just were not in the right headspace for sliding doors last week. Like I was not in the right place for this, this movie, this rewatch. I was like, this is the stupidest fucking movie I've ever seen. This it is, is not st- dumber than sliding doors. This, this movie is, is not stupid this is concept. Like these people are ridiculous. Like if you you either had a great time and you want to see each other, or you didn't. Like th- this sort of like putting we're putting it out in the universe. Like I don't know. And to it be fair, I watched like it last night. Like what intermittently while dealing with like a screaming child who was like could not sleep and he'd like fall asleep for ten minutes and then start screaming inconsolably again. So part of me was maybe just like, this is not real life. Like, I I cannot. He should have a screaming child. <laughs> like, well, because like this, like one great night. I it wasn't don't know. even it was like an, was it was just... like it wasn't even that. Like they don't not that they needed to, but like they don't sleep with each other. So it's just like flirting. You they just and then like that has delayed like derailed their entire lives. <laughs> it's like one night of flirting. Right. I also I feel like telling like, a how man, do you know like, if this is the person that's gonna like you know be the person you want to deal with the shit with like it just especially like, when he's like he's like i have a girlfriend but i'm getting a crush on you like that's a red ass flag kate back and right. <laughs> this man is being like i have a girlfriend i'm but i'm going to hit on you a lot a lot and the shit oh, he was oh. saying also like that whole opening sequence with john cusack where he is like trying to be like effortlessly charming guy the thing about john cusack is that like when he says things that are supposed to be like really charming and romantic and sweet it comes across as schmarmy and john cusack here's what i've decided watching this movie john not a romantic cusack, lead maybe not and if he's a romantic lead he needs to be one with like a little bit of a schmarm or a little bit of an edge. That's why like it work. He works in high fidelity. I buy him as high fidelity guy. I even yeah, I he is a pretty good romantic. <laughs> I even kind of buy him in like must loves dogs, which is like a pretty classic rom com. But like he's more cynical, and whereas in this he's supposed to be like optimistic, hopeless, romantic Ted Mosby guy. And well, they like I flip do it five not years later. It. They like flip it five years later where she is now sort of like over her like everything is faded phase and he's and he's like now believes it. Like they like they have him in like very different headspaces from when we met them. And also like I feel like sometimes it felt like watching John Cusack felt like watching somebody do a John Cusack impression. <laughs> yes. Like, there's just, like, I think at some point you hit a level of fame or notoriety that's, like, then it's hard to see you not as that, like, as yourself, which is tricky for an actor because, like, you want to do well and become famous, but then it's, like, I can't see you as anyone other than, like, you're just John Cusack. Also, like, her being, like, 
let's write your name on a $5 bill and we'll see if we meet again does not feel so much like a real like romantic plot as like something I would say to a man to avoid a second date. Yes. (laughs) Like like if you want to see someone again, not to reference it, probably equally stupid romantic comedy, but it's like uh, what Justin Long says in what's that terrible romantic comedy he's just not into you and he's just not that into you which is like if a man wants to see you like if someone wants to see you they're going to see you they're not going to be like let's put our information on it which i guess is helped by the fact that they're like both dating other people but if you're dating someone so seriously that you're in a committed relationship and you can't see other people and you meet someone you want and you're like, maybe I want to date this other person. Like, maybe you should look at that in your relationship. And maybe right. you shouldn't be in a committed relationship. Just- well, but also, it kind of felt like she kept trying to get rid of him. And then, like, he kept being like, no, but give me your number. And it's like, right. Okay. Let's- it was a little persistent-y. And then yeah. they spent the whole movie apart. Right. Which was fine because, like, I kind of feel like I was more interested in like his interactions with Jeremy Piven and her interactions with Molly Shannon than I was in like their interactions with each other because again like there was no foundation for being interested in this couple like I didn't care whether they got together at the end or not I was like I don't care like you spent one evening together and you like ice skated in Central Park at Christmas time like anybody would think they're in love it's like the bachelor like of course you're in love you're in these romantic places being told you're in love the chaotic energy of Jeremy Piven and John Cusack so running around the city. It just, I just like, I felt it, it, there was nothing inherently problematic, but it felt problematic. You know what I mean? It was just like, these two men shouldn't be together out in the world. Like that feels, I don't feel safe. <laughs> but again, like, is that because of what we know about John Cusack and Jeremy Piven yes! and their propensity for like young women, women on the young side? Does John Cusack have a propensity for women on the young side or for the white Not- lady allegedly don't sue me allegedly 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 we're from wait, chicago allegedly wait, what about the white lady the white oh the um, snow yeah does not he like-, like to sit at chicago bars and hit on young girls and then do allegedly cocaine yeah allegedly 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 i mean so the rumors that i have heard so is that not like illegal young just like young for him he he likes to hang out in the viagra triangle is what i is the rumors that i've heard allegedly 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 but also like karen and i spent our 20s in chicago so like allegedly they're also both allegedly like assholes to every like well jeremy piven i think we can go ahead and take the allegedly off i mean i guess not we don't know i've never i don't know i've never Jeremy Piven. they've also allegedly um had a falling out which is interesting maybe one of them was too assholey like jeremy piven i feel like had a real downfall when he like had to when he didn't he like drop out of a broadway play because he claimed like mercury mercury poison from eating too much sushi yes he claims that john cusack when he got entourage and was like coming out of john cusack's shadow (laughs) that john cusack was not happy for him I bet this is one of those fights, and I guess, like, we don't know anything about it, but I bet it's one of those arguments where it's just, like, I'm on no one's side. Right. I bet it's a real, real Houses of Potomac, Candace, Monique situation where I'm just, like, maybe one of you is slightly more right than the other, but I'm rooting for no one. Right. I'm team no one. (laughs) I'm team Giselle. Anyway, real Um, Houses of Potomac is great, but. Okay, but all, all of that said, like, 
they still were maybe my favorite part of this movie. Like, yeah, they're like funny I and charming like, in a way that I really judge myself for. Well, but also I think that they are at least at one point, whether they still are, I don't know, but at least at one point and at the point that this movie was made, they were best friends. And that comes through like they are certainly chaotic and this storyline is bizarre, but like their interactions feel genuine and and they're funny and I buy them as best friends. And so in some ways, like they were my favorite part of this movie. And then like, at one point they're running around with Eugene Levy and just. Right. The second movie we watched where Eugene Levy becomes like this unwitting but necessary accomplice in some kind of scheme. And just a way he, poor mom was like, he's just going to have a one scene cameo. And then she kept being like, oh no, he keeps showing up. I'm like, yeah, he has a part in this movie. <laughs> right. Eugene Levy. He was, he was so very funny. Famous. And the three of them together were very funny. And I felt about their scenes the same way I felt about Eugene Levy's scenes in Splash, where I was like, this is the most interesting thing happening. I do not care about the relationship. I'd rather the, like, farcical nature of these three yes. people together. Yeah, well, they're both... It's like, like well, they're trying to commit an emotional affair the night before his wedding. It's hard to root for. It's like, just tell her, and I guess this isn't as interesting of a movie, but it's like, just be like, hey... We, it's, it's not going to work because I'm interested in a woman I met five years ago, which isn't realistic, but is indicative that maybe I don't want to be getting married. So poor girl's been through enough. Like she had a baby with Tom Brady and he chose Giselle and then she marries big and he has an affair with Carrie. Like, and she gets on. pushed down the stairs. I will say I did a stunning. Tripped, to be fair, no one pushed her down no the stairs. Okay, but she was running away from Carrie. who was Carrie was like, I have to apologize to you. And I was like, no, you don't, Carrie. She has to be willing to receive it, you horrible person. And then she trips down the stairs and then has that beautiful monologue that I, I performed for dad where I was like, no, not only have you ruined my tooth, you've ruined my lunch. You can figure out how you should slice that little sound by then. Not that I didn't do it perfectly. <sighs> anyway, I've been musing on the fact that um, Carrie Bradshaw is a bad person, but that doesn't have anything to do with this movie. Yeah, poor Bridget no. Moynihan or Monahan, whichever one she is. She also, like, unlike – so John Corbett in this movie, he plays Kate Beckinsale's fiancé. Like, he's fairly unlikable, whereas I feel like John Cusack's fiancé played – Hallie, played by Bridget Moynihan. Like, she's just kind of – she's – she has no personality she's she seems like a perfectly nice lady she's yeah. natasha she like yeah. she's there to serve the other people right um, Wait, like john corbett is like he's like a, an, a new age uh oboist it's like genuinely wild and i think very funny and <laughs> like what a bizarre ass choice but he's got like this tour coming up and this album coming out because you know everyone loves a good new age oboist honestly a white <laughs> like culturally appropriating like middle eastern and indian culture like oboist it's bizarre there's something funny because at this point kate beckinsale has moved to uh san francisco and there is nary a person of color in this movie um but they have so like he's like a new age oboist and then uh her best friend molly shannon works at like a new age cafe and like doesn't believe in any of it and like is like this is stupid there's like a nod to the fact that molly shannon at least is appropriating a culture for financial gain although no one ever says it yeah so like she's at her new age coffee shop and she's like wearing like kind of a sari and has a bindi but is obviously molly shannon and a white woman and it there's like a nod to this like San Francisco sort of like how new age and Eastern culture, like white people have made it hip, but they never mm -hmm. really pointed out. Um, but I, 
I'm like acknowledging the benefit of the doubt that like we're not supposed to be taking any of it seriously. They're kind of making fun of, hopefully, making fun of white people appropriating sort of new aginess and right. not, you know new aginess itself. Um, I also really loved. I think Mo- I think Molly Shannon is perfect and can do no wrong. Um, and is one of our greatest living actresses. And I liked her and Kate Beckinsale's like fun. Yeah, I thought that they were really good together. I also like there was she had like her Molly Shannon energy and she like imbued that in this role, but it wasn't it was like tempered Molly Shannon, which I yeah. enjoy. That's like my favorite of like where she's at is like when it's sort of like it's it's her, but not like I'm 50, you she's know. Not like full Mary Catherine Gallagher. Right. Yeah. Um but she still has moments of like being wacky. I don't know. Yeah. I think Molly Shannon is a very good actress. Um, there's a movie called Other People that where she plays a woman dying of cancer. Um, and she's like very funny and very good in it. And it's a beautiful movie that will make you cry for days. It's not a rom-com. It's about children no. losing their mother. But she's amazing in it. And I just think like I think – Molly Shannon has kind of like a Maya Rudolphness, where it's like, oh, you're you're like maybe the funniest person alive, but also like, can you maybe also uh, like, yeah, she has some really like sweet, genuine moments in this movie too. Like Molly Shannon could do Aaron Brockovich, but Julia Roberts couldn't do Mary Catherine Gallagher. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, that's right. Or like whoever we think of as like the greatest actresses in the world, like Molly Shannon could do what they do, but they probably couldn't do what she does. Yeah. And she's very funny. Um, and it's helpful. Like Kate Beckinsale is like in a different way, but like also endearing and and sort of funny and they have good energy together. Yeah. And I also like like their friendship seemed genuine. Like they're like yeah. they call each other out on their like their Molly Shannon is like this is ri- like ridiculous. And she's she sort of cons her into a trip to New York in a mean in like a mean way. And Molly Shannon yeah. just doesn't like go with it. She like you calls know, her on her shit calls yeah. her on her shit and is like this is ridiculous you're getting married in five days or whatever um, this movie reminds me obviously it's not as good as but it reminds me in a lot of ways of sleepless in seattle because it has this sort of like fate like kind of soulmate ridiculous the one kind of themes and the friendship between kate beckinsale and molly, molly shannon is reminiscent of the meg ryan rosie o'donnell relationship in sleepless in seattle yeah i wonder if there's part of that that's if not intentional, like in the way that we have so many sort of like when Harry, when Harry met Sally is its own sort of like genre of movie. Now, you know, we have sleeping with other people and boys and girls and you have that sort of like same story replayed out right. in different ways. Like, I think this is that version of sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. No, I, um, I don't think it's un. I, I think, I think sleepless in Seattle was probably very much an inspiration if, you know, obviously one we'd have decided works better than the other, but you're right. Like, and Molly Shannon has like a Rosie O'Donnell energy. Yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah. Like that. I didn't mind watching this movie. Like I didn't believe in the romance. Like, do I, did I care if these two people got together? No. Do I think they had the foundation to really make it as a couple? No. (laughs) No. They don't know each other and they were both having an emotion. Like they were both, not being nice to their partners no um and again like i know that like clearly i was like in a very particular moment like with a screaming baby and like 
dealing with like my partner and the screaming baby and you know and I was just like is this ice skating date where you don't even know each other's names like is that the foundation for like dealing with this kind of shit because I don't think so I don't think so we get a little epilogue where a year later at Christmas they're buying gloves again so they've made and their hair is always they both had better haircuts well so like in the beginning her hair is very frizzy and his hair is too long and then in, in like the present day where most of the movie takes place, she's like figured out the waves of her hair and it has a better cut. And he has like the same haircut, but, but neater. And then like in the future, when we're at their one year anniversary, her hair is like fully straightened and his hair is like shorter. It's like, we will yeah. show the passage of time. Right. Slight hair changes. I was obsessed with her haircut, her like main haircut. I was obsessed with that haircut in the early 2000s. I was going to say circa 2001. Yeah, that was, it was yeah. like an updated Rachel. Yeah, the generations how like the Rachel evolved, right? Yeah, um, yeah, I think we like started talking about John Corbett and then went off on a tangent, but like he's like he's like busy in his oboe life and he like doesn't pay attention to her because he's like too into his own career and does. And then there's all these signs that he like doesn't really know her, like he buys her the wrong size ring, which is also he buys Carrie a ring she doesn't like that I do like. Right, John Corbett just again spending mostly really just, in the online the wrong ring. Here's the thing that bothers me about, and this isn't a Sex in the City podcast, but here's the thing that bothers me about the scene in Sex in the City is that Carrie's like complaining, complaining, complaining about how ugly this ring is. And again, as she says, it's a pear shaped diamond with a gold band. I kind of like it. And then Miranda's like, I helped him pick it out. And it's like, so Miranda doesn't know you either, girl. <laughs> like, right. hey, Carrie, maybe you're just impossible to please. Right. I have my entire life like a nightmare human being, Carrie. My entire life I've been like, she should have ended up with Aiden and watching this movie and I was like, she and Big deserved each other. Um anyway, that's not what we watched this week. How often do you think about the scene where she compares herself to Barbara Streisand's character from the way we were? Because I think about it at least once a week because I'm like, no, honey, no. I don't think about that scene that often. Honestly, like the scene I think about the most is not only have you ruined my tooth you've ruined my lunch because you know it's also like can we event like what if alternate universe the camera then followed natasha out of there and we watched her life with her friends and they were better people (laughs) right it was like her getting away from a horrible marriage to a horrible man (laughs) oh anyway this is not a sex in the city podcast um but anyway yes like john corbett cannot buy the right wing right Ring. but you're right like natasha hasn't done anything wrong she's just sweet and getting married yeah and i mean we know nothing about her we get a lot more development of john corbett than we do of hallie she's just kind of like the pretty girl he decides he's not in love with yeah and he's just sort of like ignores a lot i right. wrote like molly shannon is the only good person in this movie <laughs> right except and hallie, for- i guess but she's boring yeah, and we don't know anything about her. I mean, they were friends in college. We know that. Molly Shannon was her RA. Right. Um, there's, like, a joke where she thinks that uh, she, like, calls Kate Beckinsale her partner. And they're like, no, no, God, no. We're not. We would never be lesbians. This movie was made in 2001. Yeah, there's also a scene. I don't even remember the context, but there's a scene where Jeremy Pimmon puts on, like, a gay lisp. And I was like, oh, Jesus. I don't remember. Christ, of all the people. I feel like Jeremy Piven's like comedy stylings in the early 2000s were doing a gay lisp. I mean, I don't remember, but sure. Yeah. I Uh, I just think of Jeremy Piven as like the guy who shows up as John Cusack's best friend and shit. And he plays Ari Emanuel. Right. Allegedly. 
Um, maybe that one. Maybe that one we know. No, because I when trying to figure out what the hell happened between Jeremy Piven and John Cusack, there's a profile of him where he says that he knows Ari Emanuel and so he thought it would be interesting to play Ari Gold. So like he as much as confirms that that's true. Nightmare of a family. Um the Emanuels. I'm talking about the Emanuels. Oh, uh, speaking of like the okay, two things on the premise of this movie being absurd. So this man has spent we jump ahead what five years and he spent five years like fixated on this woman and it's it calls it like the best night of his life but then when he gets to la and like looks or not la san francisco Francisco. and like looks in her window and you can quite clearly so there's this whole mix-up because her kate beckinsale sister is house sitting for her and jeremy piven and john cusack get there and they see through the window they see the sister and her boyfriend having sex it's the only reason for the sister character is so we can have this mix-up and so she can look like slightly like kate beckinsale Right. And so John Cusack sees her and is like, okay, well, this is, you know, like, I'm not going to go. She's obviously like hot for this dude, whatever. They don't look, I mean, other than they're like brown haired British woman, like that's where the similarities stop. And you look as much as like as Bridget Monaghan and Bridget Moynihan. (laughs) Sure. But like this man has spent five years fixated on this woman. He's about to like throw his like relationship away for her it was the most amazing night of her life and he can't tell the difference between that woman and Kate Beckinsale like please well I mean he hasn't seen her in five years and he only saw her for a few hours yeah I think the I think it's believable that he doesn't recognize her I think it's insane that he's like I'm gonna throw my life away for a woman I won't recognize if I saw her um absurd also like on the plane right there Jeremy Piven can confesses to John Cusack that he and his wife have separated and he's like we just like we ran out of like this like the you know grand romance the great right. complacent exactly which like i get is a thing and i think that part of what you have to work very hard for in a marriage is like not getting complacent not taking each other for granted not letting like the day-to-day shit take place of like spending time together and i get that that's what he was saying but comparing like making John Cusack like running after this woman he barely knows and like running all over town like trying to find this woman he barely knows as like what you're holding out on a pedestal is like what you should work for in your relationship I was like I think you've missed the point Jeremy I think we've lost the threat Jeremy Piven Jeremy Piven does not understand the assignment of marriage (laughs) (laughs) like I don't think that that's what your wife is looking for I don't think that's why she moved out if I were guessing but then at the end of the movie he picks up Actually, what is my favorite scene in the movie where Jeremy Piven, who is an obits writer for the New York Times, writes John Cusack's obituary. And I do really like that scene where John Cusack is walking through New York reading his obituary. It's a well-written fake obituary, but he buys, he gives that to John Cusack and he buys flowers to go get his wife back. And I'm like, I bet flowers will fix everything. (laughs) Another movie where literally every person, like all of you need therapy, like every single one of you should be talking to a mental health professional right i do whether alone or in your relationship you all need therapy i do appreciate that the like wrap-up of jeremy piven's story is not that he has decided he needs someone new it's that he's going to go try and like put the spark back in his marriage i do appreciate that yeah that's the rom-com i want that we've that that is like what we're focusing on yeah yeah 
Um, yeah, Jeremy Piven. I think we forgot that Jeremy Piven could like we thought he was a sweetheart in two thousand one. <laughs> maybe he was. Maybe maybe Entourage changed him. Maybe I doubt uh, it. Oh, I was gonna say one like semi problematic is at the beginning when they're both trying to buy these gloves and they're both trying to convince this like third guy that they deserve the gloves. They each say like he's like, well, who was it for? And John Cusack says her boyfriend, and Kate Beckinsale says his girlfriend. And then to get out of their little flub they make up this fake trans woman who was Kate Beckinsale's boyfriend, but after her surgery will become John Cusack's girlfriend. And it's obviously just like using the state of like trans people existing as a sort of a joke, but to this movie's credit, at one point John Cusack refers to this fake trans woman as he and Kate Beckinsale goes, ah, she. So thank you, Kate Beckinsale, for correcting him for misgendering the fake trans woman you all made up to have this dumb meat cute. Right. Right. Um, I was just like, okay, 2001. Right. There's some 2000. Like, this is, I mean, it's not like, it's not like, um, what the hell was the movie where we were like, yeah, The Wedding Singer. Yeah. Where they fully had like an actual trans woman. Yeah. That they were just making fun of. Right. No, and I will say she did, she was correctly like, mm, her pronouns are she, like Kate Beckinsale with the correct pronouns earlier. Right, right, true. You're right. Um, so like the way the $5 bill gets back in Kate Beckinsale's hand is Molly Shannon picks it up at Serendipity. Like it's literally stayed on the same like one block radius of Manhattan for five years. Sure. Um, but Molly Shannon picks it up and puts it in her fake wallet, which says Prado and uh, obviously Kate Beckinsale says Prada and somehow they get their wallets mixed up um, and then she's on a plane and I was and she realizes it on the plane that she doesn't have her own wallet and I was like how did she get on the plane without her own ID and then I was like oh this movie came out in 2001 so we are in pre 11 life yeah. and then she pulls out the five dollar bill to pay for a pair of headsets on a plane there's just like so much about that scene that like it Gen Z or watching this movie will be like this none of this makes sense she couldn't get on the plane with the wrong wallet and what is she doing paying cash for headphones right also like I watched the like I finished this movie in the car today as we were headed somewhere and so Jeff could hear it he wasn't watching but he could hear it and he heard the scene where she calls and she's like John I need a address for Jonathan Trigger or whatever it was and Jeff was like is he the only Jonathan Trigger in the city of New York and I was like wait for it her name is Sarah, Sarah Thomas. Thomas. And he manages to track her down. I was like, they didn't even try to give these people you To be fair, he had they had her her Bloomingdale's account number from I called it Macy's earlier. It's Bloomingdale's, all owned by the same uh company. But he had her Bloomingdale's account number from five years ago and an address from five years ago. Like I believe that with that information you could track down that woman. But she had nothing on him other than I guess his phone number. She had an old phone number. An old phone number. Yeah. Manages to get his address. I love that his best friend just, like, works at the New York Times so we can have access to the New York Times. Right, right. And that they, like, befriend Eugene Levy so they can have access to the Bloomingdale's right. stock information. Um, that, like, the guy who works in menswear would be like, yeah, I have access to everyone's account information. Right, right. I love it. I buy it all. Uh, yeah, you have to suspend a lot of reality to, like, be on board with this movie. Well, at least I don't have to f- believe in two different insane realities. Okay. I'm not like I'm not arguing that this is a better or worse movie than Slide Doors. I'm just saying it it did not work for me in this rewatch. Also at the end, so at the beginning, uh John Corbett has been like, 
uh, we're gonna you're gonna our honeymoon's gonna be like you coming on tour with me because again everyone knows that like new age oboists famously have uh, lengthy tour schedules world tours right and she's and she's a therapist and she's like i can't just leave my client and then cut clients and then cut to the end of this movie and she's fully relocated to new york to be with a man she met uh once and i was like your clients didn't seem to matter then <laughs> i know well and can't she's leave like- my clients to go on a tour with you for a month but i can leave them forever to go live with john cusack in manhattan well and also there's like an implication that she's a student like she uh, oh, yeah, she's or, like a therapist in training right and so it's like did you drop out of school what's happening here she must be doing her like practicum hours like she must be doing her she's like done with classes and now she's doing her like training i guess but why not just like make her a therapist like we don't need her to be like it didn't right. add anything that she was a student right yeah <laughs> The last note I wrote is Eugene Levy is the American Mr. Bean. <laughs> yes. I think that's accurate. He, he serves in this movie the role that Mr. Bean serves in. Um, well, actually. Yes. And it made me want to watch Best in True. Yeah. I mean, Eugene Levy and Molly Shannon and to some extent Jeremy Piven are the best parts of this movie. Like, the comedy is not bad in this movie. I will get yeah. I mean... It, in that way like it is an entertaining movie i just think like the storyline the rom isn't really there no a rare movie where the rom, the com is there and the rom is not and that was i mean that again not to compare it to sleepless in, well to compare it to sleepless in seattle actually um that i mean that was sort of my is always my struggle with sleepless in seattle is like i think that the romantic storyline it's just not for me like i i i don't personally believe in like fate and soulmates and the one and all that crap so like that's not a love story that i'm particularly interested all in that crap <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry no, um, don't don't cut it out it's funny <laughs> i mean if that's I if that's believe thing, in like true love you fucking idiots who do <laughs> no i believe in love i believe in i mean i'm like mar- i'm married i have kids like i believe in all that stuff all that stuff i just don't necessarily believe like fate soulmates the one so like rom-coms based on those themes aren't for me which is fine if they're for you like that's not i'm not it's not a bad thing it's just not for me but in sleepless in seattle the reason i come back to that movie is because of the characters and the relationships and the writing and the and the calm part of it and this movie doesn't quite have enough of that for me to like keep coming back to it yeah i also don't really believe in fate or soulmates but I, so i'm trying to figure out like why sleepless in seattle remains my second favorite nora efron rom-com and i think it's that like it's not this movie seems to like be feeding that to us as true in a way that like sleepless in seattle everything that sort of happens is they're still affecting it it's like choices being made by either annie or i guess usually the kid less so tom hanks but like people are still making choices and doing things that are affecting the fate it's not like a five dollar bill magically lands in one of their hands like right they find their way back to each other because the kid gets on the plane and goes and so tom like and i also sort of at the a i guess she's having an emotional affair um but she's not doing it five days before her wedding and right and the and I think that Walter is given a, I think Walter is a more defined character. And like 
a very good, like, likable man who is not the man for her. Like, right. he's not sort of a boring nothing the way Hallie is. And he's not just sort of, like, a selfish guy the way John Corbett is. Like, he is right. a well-written character of, like, good guy, not her guy. Right. Um, And they have, like, and you see, like, a sweet breakup. You don't see either of them break up with their partner. Their partners just disappear. Like, they're just plot devices in a way that, like, Walter is given a little bit more grace. And then at the end of the movie, you're like, maybe these two people end up together but also just like maybe this is just a new beginning for that i don't know there's you're right i think it's just like the writing is better oh for Um, sure and also like there's so many there's so much of this movie that's that of serendipity that just works out because of coincidences and we're sold it because it's like well it was fated whereas in sleepless in seattle she's like it's fate and it's like no it's not you're all making choices right like that movie's not asking us to actually believe in fate in the way this movie is yeah I think the other thing is I do think that John Cusack is a bit of a miscast in this movie. Like he, I, I like John Cusack as an actor. I, there are lots of things that I really like him in, including rom-coms. Like I said, I think, you know, he is. Yes, I said he's not a rom-com lead and he's kind of famously is. And so I take that back. Yeah. And I think there are rom-coms where like his John Cusack-ness works but i think you've got to give him an edge you've got to give him a little bit of a cynicism or a schmarminess like he's kind of he's like a ben affleck in that way like i don't think ben affleck being or john cusack being like hopeless romantic genuine guy like john cusack and jeremy piven doing like genuine like down to earth hopeless romantic guys is not it does not work like that's not who they are it doesn't come through and so it, I just, I, it was hard for me to like get on board in that way. And, and that's, and again, it's not, I like John Cusack a lot for a while. Like he really was one of my favorite. Well, you used actors. to love this movie because you had a crush on John Cusack and Jeremy Piven. Yeah. I mean, I, and I do, I still think they're both very good actors. I mean, their, their reputations and their pers- like real life personas aside, I think they're both good actors. I like watching both of them. I just, and I even, I think for Jeremy Piven, this, this role worked, um, but I don't think that this role worked for John Cusack. No, I think we should watch Say Anything. I wonder if that holds up. Yeah, I don't, I haven't seen that one enough, but I feel like, I mean, there are lots well, of John rom-com. Hughes and that's yeah. had some tough times with some of our, our favorites. I know, I know. <laughs> We should put it on the list because the one thing I think about Say Anything is that it's a rare rom-com where the man is like, screw my future. I don't fucking care. I'll do whatever. You know, like he, yeah. he kind of is like following her around versus vice versa. Well, um, and like many John Hughes movies, it has like an iconic scene of the, that has been now sort of redone to ad nauseum, which is the boom box, holding up the boom box outside right. your window. I just like, there's a part of me that doesn't want to watch it because I don't like, I, there's a part of me that's like genuinely brokenhearted that I don't think I can ever watch 16 Candles again. I know. <laughs> and I don't, I like, I was like, I don't really want to watch Say Anything or Breakfast Club to preserve my love. Like if I watch them again, I'm not going to love them anymore. Well, and so I say like John Cusack doesn't work as like hopeless romantic guy, but like that's, that's who that character is. That character is like hopeless romantic Ted Mosby guy. Like that character is also like, a teenager. That's helped but because exactly. he's a teenager. He's not a 35 year old man. And I think, and it's also John Cusack at the beginning of his career before we've seen him in other things before 
we Corey's got a little bit of darkness we're darkness to John Cusack right and and so I think again like that that character may work in the 80s in a way that this character didn't work in 2001 and it certainly doesn't work for me watching it in 2021 and again not because there's anything like inherently problematic about his character in this movie I just it's not how I like my John Cusack I don't want to watch must love dogs that to me is like the that's like the era of John Cusack I want like older I want an older John Cusack well there was sometimes when his face would do things and you would see like baby John Cusack I just yeah. there's something so endearing about it's because he's from Chicago. It's because he's ours. He's our problematic faith. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean I do. I love John Cusack, and I think that's why I loved this movie so much. When I, I mean, also this movie came out when I was 14, so there was there's an extent to which hopeless romanticness works when you're a teenager, which is why it works. Yes. Same thing. And in fact, we, we haven't seen it. I remembered like as I was watching the movie, that last scene or the second to last scene where they find each other again and they introduce themselves to each other and they say like, I'm Sarah, I'm John. I saw this movie. It fin- it came rushing back to me all of a sudden. I saw this movie in theaters with a girlfriend whose name is Sarah and at the time was crushing on a guy named John. And she was like, oh my God, it's a sign. So there's a way that like, you know, at 14 or 15, you're like, oh my God, this movie about signs is a sign. Like it lands a lot differently than than it does at 34 when i'm like really like come on just make choices just like make the best choices right in your life i'm like on the i'm on the cusp of like a major life change and i'm like i don't need signs i'm just making choices and i'm gonna i'm gonna it's gonna be fine or well fate isn't real right everything's fine i'm fine um would you watch it again I'd watch it if, like, I don't have cable anymore. I'm probably never going to have cable again. But, like, if it popped up on TBS and there was nothing yes. else, I'd probably this finish watching it. This is very much the movie where, like, I'm probably not going to make any – I'm not going to make active choices. I'm not going to free will this movie into my life again. But if it in your hands? Right. But if it's, like – again, I also don't I, – I don't really have cable. But, you know, if it pops up on whatever, sure, I would maybe watch it great yeah what are we watching next uh next week we are watching speaking of splash roxanne starring steve martin and daryl hannah i have no predictions i genuinely i think i've seen this movie once and i do not remember it yeah i mean i really i mean it's been steve martin yeah i mean the storyline's been done to death it's cyrano i mean it's cyrano de de bergerac yeah um I really love Steve Martin. I think Steve Martin is a good writer and he wrote it. Oh, okay. Um, I'd forgotten that. I think it's an older movie. So I think there's bound to be some choices sure. made that uh, probably don't hold up today. But I'm excited to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be interested to watch. I don't have, I don't have a ton of strong predictions. <laughs> yeah. Same. Unless it's like very problematic and then I have to, I'm having like a, the way I had with John Hughes, what I have to do then with Steve Martin. So I hope that's not true. Where can people find us? You can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod. And then Twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can rate and review and subscribe, which we love so much. Leave us a nice review. Carrie's babies are crying a lot. I'm moving back across the country it's, we're going through a lot leave us a nice review to make us feel good yeah okay 
please just do it. <laughs> Someone's going to leave us a mean review and then we're both going to melt down. Okay. That's true. Okay. Well, see you in two weeks for Roxanne. Thank you. Bye. Bye.